Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Monday, we're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com. Of course, the Trojans defeated the Bruins 28-23 Saturday night in the Coliseum. We got a lot of questions, and we'll try our best to give you a lot of answers about what happened in the game, what's going forward, and all that kind of stuff. So questions or comments, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or give us a call or a text, and the number is 424-254-9141. So you can call or text that number, and uh, we'll play it on the air or read it on the air and discuss whatever you have to say. Please let us know who your question is for. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. We've sent a lot of questions in again this week, like pretty much every week of the season. So we'll uh, do our best to answer all of those. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, itunes.com slash Peristyle podcast or whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Um, please leave positive feedback. Please leave uh, a five-star rating. That would be wonderful. Help us grow the show. And it's been growing great all year. We appreciate all the new listeners. And uh, we're ready to talk with Dan. What's going on, Dan? How are you doing? Yep. Let's, uh, let's, get, let's get it going here. It's, uh, there's a lot, Dan. There's a lot of questions. And it's – are you kind of surprised all the negativity, like – the team is now 10-2, and two, um, won the Pac-12 South. They're going to have a bye week heading into the Pac-12 championship game, got an excellent shot. They'll be favored in that game. Um, are you kind of surprised? There's a lot of negativity around. Just so many USC fans are unsatisfied the way this team has looked all year. I think I'm not because I think there have been so few satisfying games. Uh if you just go down the list, you know, the Stanford game was really satisfying. Um, you know, the second half of the, of the Utah game, uh, the Arizona state game and not a lot more. Do you come away feeling good? If you're a USC fan, you don't feel that good, uh, you know, about this team. And so I know people will say, Oh, they're 10 and two. And they're, they're, you know, they're going to be in the Pac-12 championship game and favored. But this was a team that was favored to be in the college football playoffs at the start of the year. And the Pac-12 has turned out to be significantly uh, worse than people thought it was. I think it is. I mean, the ratings are such – all of college football is kind of worse than, than you thought it was going to be this year. So uh, I just think, you know, they just watch every game – and see stuff that they really wish, you know, wasn't happening. And I think last year, you know, they saw a team that got better and was kind of going somewhere by the end of the year. I don't know that any USC fan right now can say, man, we've really got it going, going into the Pac-12 championship game. This is where we, we wanted to be. We knew we'd be there, uh, you know, by, by this time. I don't think anybody could predict, you know, what, what's this team going to do? I mean, it, it's, it's so difficult. I mean, this is a team that, 
is the number, I guess, number one scoring team in the fourth quarter in the country and the number 75th team in the third quarter coming out of, out of halftime. Uh, the, you know, the hot and cold, the on and off, the, um, they can do, you know, things that are brilliant and then things that are just mind-boggling. They, you know, you, you just can't believe you, your eyes. You see something and you say, did they really do that? So, uh, so I can see, you know, people were pretty upbeat uh, coming off the Rose Bowl and with Sam back and Rojo back and uh, Cam Smith back and Porter Gustin and Chenna Nwuso and all that, I can see a reason that, you know, that they were pretty, pretty excited about where this was going. And, it, you know, they're getting there, but, but like the UCLA game, I mean, they might have played UCLA. In terms of defending UCLA, they almost played as badly as anybody except UCLA didn't put any put points on the board for those 501 yards. And then UCLA's given up 302 yards a game on the ground. And USC with Ronald Jones, the sixth all-time leading rusher in USC history, ready to go past O.J. Simpson into number five, can only get 153 yards. Or they have to watch, uh, you know, Josh Rosen just absolutely carve up the USC secondary in a game where USC had all the opportunity to do that because UCLA brought up an extra guy into the box and were really taking some chances and giving USC deep balls that USC couldn't take advantage of. So I think I could, I could absolutely understand, you know, where they're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Unfortunately, a lot of the questions are kind of along those that vein, so we'll we'll get into that. But before we do, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. They've been uh, with us since back in August, and uh, we really love the affiliation with Trader Joe's. They've been great to us. They've been in business for 50 years here in Southern California and across the country. Uh, they actually opened a new one. Hopefully, if you went to the USC-UCLA game, you picked up some tailgate uh, stuff that you would need over at Trader Joe's. I went. I walked over to campus to some people's tailgates and talked to a bunch of people that were over there at Trader Joe's. Even saw a couple of those USC Trader Joe's bags that we uh, we've talked about before that are really cool. Um, tried something new this week, Dan. So I've been alone under the weather. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of podcasting. I've been feeling kind of bad and sick. And uh, my wife picked me up some of the Trader Joe's uh, chicken noodle soup. So that was cool. Our chicken soup and. Uh, I tried that, so just kind of heated up, and uh, that was really good stuff. So that was a new thing I got to try this week. But they got the staples. If you wanted to go, go get eggs, milk, bread, butter, they got uh, a lot of frozen uh, dinners that you can kind of you know heat up, and they look really good. It doesn't look like it's a Swanson thing or anything. You you heat them up and uh, with rice and things like that. With a lot of different cool stuff you can get there. I love the beer and wine selection. Um, very cool stuff. Get to go pick up a. A cool-looking uh, six-pack of beer if you want to have, have fun with your friends over the weekend. Bye week for USC, so uh, maybe pick up a few things at Trader Joe's, hang out, and watch some of the other Pac-12 football games. Oh, and I've got a – it seems like every week a Trader Joe's story. I have a, a neighbor from South Africa who was uh, brought up Trader Joe's. We have a new supermarket right across the street, and big grand opening and all that. And I was telling him the story about the manager – offering to trade uh, that supermarket's bag full of groceries eventually in order to get the Trader Joe's bag that <laughs> someone had in the store. And she, she's telling me that my, my neighbor from South Africa said, I, I'd drive anywhere to go to Trader Joe's. She said, I used to be a 
a wine broker back in South Africa, and she said, they have a Chilean Cabernet Sauvignon for $4.99 that's just to kill for at Trader Joe's. So she just could not say enough good things about Trader Joe's. So uh, every week I get... I run into somebody who's telling me all this good stuff about Trader Joe's. So uh, I can absolutely agree. I mean, totally out of the blue. Yeah, nice. And thanks for that, for their sponsorship. They've been a great partner with us. Hope to keep that going. Uh, let's. We'll go to our first question. We'll do Earl in West L.A., Dan. He said, I agree this team should be more dominant, but can't seem to overcome flaws that keep victory in doubt until the final minutes of nearly every game. As you have said, there are... Uh, they are who they are. So that's what Dan Thing's been saying. He said, frankly, I decided not to be discontented with this after reviewing what I have personally witnessed this past year. I've attended nine games, starting with the Rose Bowl, the beatdown of Stanford, the thrill against Texas, and a bunch of flawed victories at the Coliseum and in Berkeley. I have not seen USC lose at home in over two years. In less than two weeks, I will see them again in Santa Clara playing for the conference championship in order to get to this point, I had to endure scholarship limitations, sanctions, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, along with a Sun Bowl, UG, he says, and two Holiday Bowls, no offense, San Diego. I am really grateful we are where we are today after enduring all of that. Next year promises to be even better with the players we know are returning and could be off the charts if Sam returns. Sorry this is so long, but your podcast could use a positive perspective. Thanks for all you do. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Earl. Fight on, Earl in West L.A. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Earl, you can absolutely make that case. I mean, honestly, if, if USC would happen to return uh, everybody, you know, I don't know what the likelihood of, of that could possibly be, but if they return Sam and Rojo and Cam Smith and Porter Justin, uh, Porter Justin and all those guys who – could or couldn't, you know, come back, um, man, I mean, is anybody on paper, uh, you know, a better candidate, uh, you know, with some of the young guys that, that missed this year? Uh, and, you know, and you always qualified by, say, if you coach them up, if, uh, <clears throat> you know, if they play physical, if they, uh, you know, play uh, disciplined, uh, some of the things they don't do, you know, if they figure out, you know, the run game, uh, how to make it a little bit more, um, you know, uh, certain where in whatever situation uh, you feel like, okay, we've got, we've got an answer for that. Or if people are going to try to totally take the run away, why is this team with this quarterback and these receivers not able to, to ba- basically say, if you're going to take the run away, bring an extra guy in the box like UCLA did, we're going to hurt you badly. We're going to punish you. So um, there just seems to be not a, a – this has not been a year where you say they're way better now than they were. I mean, they'll make the case, and it's correct. They've got more receivers that you can count on. Uh, they're healthier than they've been. And yet, as the UCLA game shows, that didn't necessarily pre- you know, produce a result that made you feel like, okay, this team is – um, where you want it to be. I mean, I, I think um, UCLA, for example, I think played much more uh, close to its potential Saturday than USC did. And I think that's about the ninth, ninth or tenth time that that's happened where the other team has played closer 
to its uh, potential than USC has. Uh, so you can say, well, it's great if you're a USC fan. We've got all that potential. And then you look at, you know, you look at the game and you say, yeah, it didn't exactly, you know, produce something. But, uh, you know, and, and there are always highlights. You can't not go to a USC game, uh, maybe the Washington State game, Notre Dame, without highlights. But um, it's a roller coaster ride. And if, if you're a USC fan, maybe you just go there and say, I'm just going to enjoy the ride and, <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah. They're usually there by the, at the end of the game. USC, they seem like they're there. If, if the game's in doubt, most of the time uh, they have the ability to make something happen uh, you know, that goes in their favor. But uh, a lot of those, you wish they didn't have to do that at the end of the game. Yeah. Jared in Utes Country says, Hey, Dan and Ryan, congrats on another awesome regular season of coverage. You guys are the best, and thanks for all the hard work you do. Well, thank you very much, Jared. He said, My question is regard to Sam Darnold. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet said on Saturday night that he felt Sam should stay another year. This coming from a commentator that does not have any visibility into Darnold like you do. Dan, is Sam better off staying one more year from your perspective? That's from Jared in Utes Country. You know, actually, I think, he, I think he could really make that case. Uh, I think some of the issues, I, I do think he had more significant physical uh, injury-type issues that, uh, that, that caused him some problems. But, but there were some, uh, you know, judgmental issues, just making the right judgments, making the right calls. I think I, I remember talking to Sam once about, I think somebody did a study that almost nobody – who's played in the Super Bowl, played fewer than three years uh, as a college uh, a starter, or three real, real years of college football. Sam has basically had two, one as a red shirt. I think Sam paid attention to that. You know, I, I think he might be one of those guys that say, you know, I really could use the, I really could use the experience of just making that judgment, um, uh, making all those judgments, throwing those balls away that I, I, I need to throw away and all of that, that, that you would get more of that next year at USC, especially knowing that if you come back to USC, again, they're in the hunt for the national championship almost certainly, and that everything you do really, really matters, and you're under a lot of pressure, and that's the kind of thing, whether you feel like, you're doing all the right things, uh, you know, in terms of the coaching, in terms of the offense, and what have you. I think you would get a chance to develop, uh, um, you know, the kind of uh, leadership. You know, Sam's got a lot of that, uh, those leadership skills, and those, uh, all the things, you know, those intangibles. Uh, but just in terms of just some of the judgment uh, situations you find yourself in, uh, you know, as a quarterback, I don't think the injury situation is quite the same as if you're a running back or a linebacker or whatever, if you're a quarterback. So I'm not sure that you're, you're taking, um, you know, that, that big a chance. Now, and, and people point out the fact though, that by starting your first contract a year earlier, that really matters when you, you know, when you'll get to be a free agent. Uh, so, you know, there is a, you know, a, maybe a monetary thing, um, 
and there's a you know you're looking at where am I going to go if I go out, uh, where will I go in the draft, and who will I go to, and and I think those are so so many things that you just can't figure out, uh, but but I think you could absolutely make the case that that there would be a you know a good reason for Sam to come back next year. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, didn't really think that earlier, but I kind of think so now. Stephen Poway. Uh, dear Dan and Ryan, why have the tight ends all but disappeared from USC's offense? He said the offense is becoming very two-dimensional with handing off to Rojo and throwing two wide receivers. Thank you, Steve and Poway. Uh, I think, you know, they got buffaloed by not having Daniel Matrababy, and I think he was going to be, from what we saw in the spring, uh, I think they were thinking very much that they were going to throw to the ball to Daniel Matrababy and Terry Anzaline. And how did that work out? You know, it just, it, it went away. I really don't, I don't know why we haven't gotten any really good, you know, insights as, as, to, as to what happened. I know Clay was very pleased against UCLA that T did have the ball thrown down the field a couple of times uh, to Daniel. Uh, I think Daniel's, uh, you know, hip flexor issue was a big part of that. But uh, uh, it has to be. I mean, the offense hasn't been that smoothly, uh, you know, transitioned from say, okay, now Daniel was not there. What do you do? How do you? And I think you know, in some cases, they're making up for. Okay, we don't trust the offensive line to do this, so we've got to have a a tight end, and we've got to help out blocking. I, I think there are times when USC kind of rationalizes what they're doing on offense sort of negatively, like, oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. we got to help this guy. We have to have this guy stay in so we can do that. And they kind of take away um, their options uh, at times. And, uh, and I, you know, if it were me, I'd probably be a little bit more the glass is half full. But you see some – uh, you know, rationale with the USC coaches that the glass is half empty. And, uh, uh, you know, I know Clay says he's a glass half full guy, but I'm not sure that they actually coach him that way. They kind of coach him uh, to to play safe. Yeah, a little too much playing safe, I think, uh, with this squad. Um, let's see. Troy75 has a question, too. He says, I watched a game the other night. I realized something. Whenever SC has a bad play, they seem to follow it up with a desperate play. For example, if they failed to make uh, better than two yards on a first down, they almost always followed it with a pass. And if the pass was dropped, then they had third and long. And they had a very low conversion percentage on third and long. Uh, This pattern was particularly true in the third quarter. Being an old-timer, and I don't remember McKay or Robinson doing this, uh, whether they made two yards or four yards on first down, McKay would call a second down play calculated to get them enough yards so they didn't have too many third and longs. Conservative, yes, but it seems that's how you keep a drive going. Am I wrong in thinking that there's a certain element of quote-unquote panic in USC's play calling? Lastly, could it be that Sam is audibling out of calls and creating the situation by trying to do too much? Uh, maybe uh, it would help to script the first 15 plays of the second half which plays that anticipated the opponent's halftime adjustments. Thanks. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Just a thought from a humble football fan. Thanks and fight on. Troy, 75. 
Yeah, I, I do think Saturday was a case of uh, a little bit of panic, a little bit of, as I call, grab bag, uh, where you just pull out a play and say, man, I hope this thing works. Uh, and I think some of that was because they didn't do a very good – I mean, I think they were stunned that they couldn't run the ball uh, that much, that, that they you know, they found themselves with uh, third and long because they tried to run it once or twice, and, uh, and they just didn't do a very good job on first, or, first and or second down. Uh, that shocked me. I'm sure it shocked them. Uh, so then you, you have them, you know, just saying, well, what the heck can we throw in here on third down? That's why they were two for ten. I mean, that was just awful. That's unacceptable uh, against UCLA, be two for ten on third down conversions. I mean, they really they had a bad night. There's no question about it. And whether that's the bad night play calling followed bad execution, the inability to block people at the line of scrimmage, the fact that UCLA overloaded the box and USC didn't pick up on it immediately and, 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 and take what, what was given them and, 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 you know, and make those plays. And, and I don't know that it's enough to just say, you know, we tried to take some shots down the field. We just couldn't, couldn't hook up with them or whatever. No, that's not good enough. This team, if the uh, uh, T. Martin says, this could be the best group of wide receivers he's ever had at USC, the best group, uh, well, then you ought to be able, with Sam Darnold as your quarterback, to figure out ways, if they're going to put an extra man in a box to stop the run, they ought to be giving you the passing game. That ought to be a given. Uh, that it wasn't uh, says something about this is not a, an offense that, that you can really trust. And and where do you where do you go, you know, in terms of you know pointing the finger, uh, you know, for that? There's a whole lot of ways they've got to block better at the line of scrimmage. They just have to do a better job. Um, but then the that, that you know quarterback uh, wide receiver the patterns have to be uh, probably sharper. You can't have those plays where you end up with a couple of guys in the same spot. Uh, the receivers are fighting for the ball better. I don't think there's any quite they're better than they were at the beginning of the year and at the 50-50 balls and, and things like that. But, uh, but something's kind of missing. This team ought to be sharper uh, when somebody will give you the deep ball. You ought to be able to take it. I know, okay, you can say, well, they don't have any super speed burners, but they got a, enough athletes who, who've got enough talent uh, you know, to get the job done. If you have to bring Stephen Carr in, you bring Stephen Carr in, but uh, I mean, he did it once. But uh, I, I just think there, it's not clear cut in everybody's mind uh, after a week of practice. What are we going to do? And and just do it. And it still looks like they're trying to find something. And I don't think in game 12 you ought to be struggling to find what you're going to do. You ought to be able to do it. You know, they're going to line up. They're going to do what they do on defense, and you just do what you do on offense. It shouldn't be kind of the, the big deal that it seems to be for USC to figure out what it has to do. Let's go to a voicemail, Dan. Uh, here's one for you. Hi, this is uh, Daniel in Los Angeles. Uh, question for uh, Dan or Coach, uh, whoever comes first. Uh, the question is, how long will Lillian Swan or the USC uh, – Boosters accept uh, ten and two seasons uh, going forward, but unfortunately, in, in, in college football, two two losses do not get you into the playoffs. 
they not do they do not get you into a chance of winning a championship unless it was to move to an 18 playoff. But but until then, uh, two losses is it's it's a good season, but it's in the eyes of a blue blood uh, football team, it would be considered a failure. Um, only because you can't get the playoffs. Now that there's a playoffs, I, think, I believe the fans, alumni, everybody wants to get to the playoffs. That's probably why no one's really happy with a 10-2 season, even winning the Fiesta Bowl. It's still like an empty feeling inside that you could have been in the playoffs. You know, I, mean, I bet the, the people rather lose in the playoffs than lose in the Fiesta Bowl or even win the Fiesta Bowl because the, the, the fact that you made it that far. I mean, either way, you have to be in it to win it. You have to be in the playoffs to win the championship. So if you lose there, fine. That's good. You had a great season. You made it. But... Yeah, how long do you think 10 and 2 seasons will last at USC? Thanks. I, I, that's a good question. I, I mean, Lynn Swan was not happy with the Rose Bowl last year. Uh, uh, and this year, you know, the ideal would have been to get to the Rose Bowl because it's, it's, it's a playoff bowl. Uh, not doing that uh, will not be, uh, not be uh, something that makes – a lot of people happy just because USC started out the year pretty much in the in the conversation, pretty much in those uh, you know four or five teams that these are the teams that are going to be in the uh, in the playoffs. If you end up not not being there, if you end up losing to a team like Washington State, we got you know we know all the excuses. The short week, help. first of all. You know, somebody ought to be complaining about uh, the short week. USC should not have accepted that. Clay says not his job to say anything. I think it is the football coach's job. If you're going to be disadvantaged by scheduling, then I think you need to talk up about the scheduling. Um, and, and the preparation that week was terrible. The game plan was terrible. Yeah, they were injured, but uh, uh, this shouldn't have happened. So, you know, 10-2 and two and 11-1. and one, that's a really big difference, uh, and the whole conversation is different. And it wouldn't have, cha- wouldn't have taken a lot to change, you know, the conversation. But ten and two, you know, makes you a top ten team, and you're, you know, you're in the in the hunt for the Pac-12. You're in the hunt for a decent bowl game, but you're not in the hunt for the national title. According to Clay, according to Lynn, that's got to be the goal, and the ultimate goal has to be the national championship, but the intermediate goal always has to be the Pac-12. And when you're looking around at the Pac-12 these days, that's not unrealistic at all. I mean, who should beat USC any year in the Pac-12? Nobody. I mean, really nobody. With USC's history, with its location, with its tradition, with everything that USC, the school, where it is now, and all of the things that USC's got going for it, its ability to recruit, who should beat USC uh, in the Pac-12? Nobody. Um, so year after year, USC should dominate. I mean, if Alabama can dominate in the SEC, USC actually has a better chance of dominating the Pac-12 than Alabama has of, of dominating the SEC. So I think they just, you know, they they're they're not going to be happy with uh, 10 and 2. You know, as as constituted, they're just not. I mean, they're not going to be happy with years when you lose to Washington State. They're not. And um, uh, I don't think, I mean, I know there's that big argument going on between the people who say, man, this is great, uh, and it's top ten, and it's going to be a good bowl, and, we're, you know, we're in the hunt for the Pac-12, and 
that's we're better than last year. I know Clay has made the point that uh, well this year they're eight and one in the Pac-12. They control their own destiny, and that's a step up from last year. Uh, it is indeed. But last year, I think you felt this momentum, and they weren't you know kind of necessarily uh, doing things that made it hard for them to get better week week to week to week. I don't, you don't feel that same thing this year. So, you know, it's a, this season is in a, in a, in a unusual place uh, for a 10 and two season at this point in time. And that's probably a good thing. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing if USC fans aren't happy with 10 and two or losing to Washington state or laying a complete egg at Notre Dame and going up there and realizing, wow, they really want to beat us. And this is a big deal, and it's really important to them. Man, I wish we had known that before we got here. Uh, those kinds of things are kind of unacceptable. Yeah, it is, Dan, and I can see sense the frustration in the USC fans, and uh, we appreciate you kind of talking about that. Uh, before we jump into more of these questions, I wanted to tell everybody about SeatGeek. If you want to buy tickets to sporting events or concerts, it can be complicated. But there's a better, simpler way to buy using SeatGeek. It is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek will help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. Of course, for everyone out there, that's the USC Trojans, uh, as far as the sports team go. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action uh, for a great value. And, of course, USC doesn't have any more home games left, but does have the, does have the Pac-12 championship game. So I have it up on my app, the, the app on my phone. So go to your phone, and you can download the SeatGeek app. It, uh, it's really cool because it'll show you where all the seats are in the stadium. There's a lot, actually, for the Pac-12 championship game. And, uh, like, the cheapest ones, the best deal out there, it's $24 right now if you want to go to the Pac-12 championship game. But it's cool. You can click on which seats are. They'll show you kind of the view from where you're going to be, where you're going to be sitting. Uh, I have an Android phone. It says you can pay with Android right on your phone. So all that stuff is pretty cool. It's a great app. It's a great experience if you want to try it out. And there's a call to action here. If you want to do this, if you want to try SeatGeek for yourself, download the SeatGeek app and you will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the app and use the promo code USC. That's promo code USC. For twenty dollars off your first Seat Geek purchase, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of seats available, Dan, for this one. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, that Friday night uh, is not ideal uh, for fans to get there. I mean, even from you know Southern California, um, it just again uh, between the Pac-12 and USC, they aren't making it very easy for fans to attend games. I mean, it's. I think something's going to have to happen in the near future to keep people uh, uh, coming to games. And, and you know, televis- televising of games has gotten so much better, and the camera work and, and all the angles and the replays and, and, you know, everything that you can get. And then they make it harder and harder and more expensive to park and more difficult to get in and out and the security. And, you know, then they're going to play it on Friday night, uh, you know, where, I mean, how hard is it to get into, you know, Silicon Valley on a Friday night? I mean, there's not enough, uh, there are not enough roads as it is. You know, we, we worry about traffic in Southern California, 
But you get up in the Bay Area, they're just kind of landlocked in a way that uh, they just don't have enough, you know, land area that they can dedicate the roads. And, and getting in and out of, uh, of Santa Clara on a Friday night is a challenge uh, if you're a USC fan. Uh, uh, so uh, you'd love to see <laughs> not so many tickets available and people having to rush to, to get them. But, you know, if the good news is, if you decide at noon, no, I guess not noon, you decide at 10 in the morning on Friday that you wanted to go to the game, you can go to the game yeah. <laughs> and you can buy a ticket. So that's the good news, and we would encourage everybody to do that. Yeah, it's funny. My buddy, Sean, who I went to college with, he called me, and I get, I sent him to SeatGeek, and he's like, hey, thanks. So they end up buying pretty good tickets. So you can get good, good seats on there. So definitely check it out. You Promo code USC, you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Um, let's jump back to the yeah, question. Levi, now, Levi's is not our favorite place to watch a game. No. With the entire eight-level wall of, uh, you know, private boxes and that. But the seats are good. I mean, you it's a good stadium to watch a game in. Uh, doesn't, doesn't have a lot of, um, like, life to it. Uh, but you can watch the game well there. Uh, and so from that standpoint, not too many seats are really bad seats. Yeah. Let's move on. Uh, man, we got so many questions, so we'll try to go through them all. Gene says, hey, this is Gene from the OC. I think it's time to quit sugarcoating and admit this is a poorly coached team. If uh, changes are not made, we will have another lackluster season next year. There is only one coach who should stay, and that's the running back coach. So he's talking about Dylan McCullough. As for the Bruin game, if Rosen had been under the same pressure as Darnold, he would have he would not have uh, completed nearly the same amount of passes. Why were we not blitzing more and putting pressure on him? If you watch the game, it's so easy to see what's wrong. Uh, why can't our coaches see and correct the problem? Don't we have uh, one decent defensive back who can cover? Why do so many of our players have their jerseys hanging out? Poor discipline. Please have Dan comment on all of this. <laughs> Fight on Gene. Gene doesn't happy with anything. He doesn't even like yeah, I'm not jerseys. Sure. It's probably a hard case to make that USC doesn't put quarterbacks under pressure. I mean, they do have the most – now they've got – they've played 12 games, and a lot of teams have only played 11. But they do have the most sacks of any team in the country with 41. And they did out-sack uh, – you know, they had four sacks on Rosen. Uh, UCLA had only one on Sam. A little bit of that is Sam's escapability. Uh, but, uh, but I don't know that – that you can fault them there. What you might be able to fault them for is, is, is just what's going on with the coverage. I mean, how do you get beat the way they've gotten beat uh, two, you know, two times last week at Colorado and then a couple of the beats that happened in this game, I mean, are just inexcusable. Uh, I mean, it's not like USC doesn't have five-star corners that are, you know, back-to-back considered the best athletes in the country coming out of high school. Uh, so, uh, that's a little uh, disheartening to watch what's happened with USC secondary. Uh, and I remember back in the day, USC corners prayed for Pete Carroll to let him play man. I mean, I remember Terrell, Terrell Thomas saying his senior year, he had 10, 10 plays where he got to play man, and he thought that was enough to show the NFL. Now, this team gets to play man a lot. And they do that because they really need to 
go, you know, go after, uh, help the, you know, the run defense, help the pressure on the quarterback. So they let them play man a lot. And they, we always hear it like, man, we're taking such a chance. We're, you know, we're putting them out on an island. You would think, well, great. USC's receivers or uh, uh, defensive backs ought to feel good about, you know, being out on an island. Um, I'm just not seeing that kind of, you know, when you talk to the USC secondary, you get the sense that much of this year they thought they were as good as any secondary in the country. Uh, and the disconnect between what they think about themselves and, 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 and what they do in these games, uh, you know, really makes you wonder you know, what is going on. Will changes have to be made? Yeah, absolutely. Changes are going to have to be made. This is a lot of, you know, what they're doing isn't acceptable. But uh, but I do think they really work at, at getting pressure. They do. I and mean, they've done a pretty good job. And, and, and without, a, without a Port Augustine and, and losing, uh, you know, Marlon to, to a Paluto and uh, people like that, and Christian Rector for some of the year, uh, I still think they've done a, done a pretty good job uh, getting pressure. Are they having to do too much to get that pressure? I mean, I guess that's, you know, one of the questions you have to answer. But uh, secondary's got to step up, and we just aren't seeing that at all. Speaking of the secondary, good segue. Brian from Baldwin Hill said, what is your honest assessment of defensive back coach Ronnie Bradford? I feel like he is the most reclusive of all the coaches. I don't even think I know what he looks like. The other coaches do interviews or are shown on TV at times. For example, T, Deland, and even Coach Callaway have all been interviewed for the site. However, rarely do we see Ronnie Bradford. My concern is the DBs in particular, or uh, particular the cornerback play, has been very questionable this season. This coupled with the fact that many have mentioned that he doesn't like recruiting and has dropped the ball with several recruits. Additionally, he isn't, uh, isn't he tied to Clancy Pendergast in that he was the only choice when he agreed to accept the job, so it may be difficult to replace him. What are your thoughts, Brian and Baldwin Hills? I think Brian and Baldwin Hills has pretty much touched on <laughs> what what the issues are. I mean, there they are. You you put them out there, Brian. Uh, you know, they're all those are all things that people think about and and wonder. I mean, you know, we we don't see the improvement. I don't think there's any question. We just we don't. And uh, you know, we see guys doing 360 degree spin moves, or we see poor Isaiah Langley on, on a play where, where the only possible salvation for UCLA where uh, uh, Josh Rosen is under so much pressure and he's about to get pounded into the ground. He has no chance to complete a ball. Throws it up just for grabs, I guess, fourth down. Only hope UCLA had on that play was for some USC defender to grab some guy um, and I say it did, and you just think, man, you've got to be smarter than that. Or the ball, or the the body control, for example. USC has two great athletes on a deep ball, both of whom get there first, and one of them bats the ball off the other's helmet, and and it drops down into Jordan Leslie's you know arms as he's lying on the ground. I mean, it's just that's. I think that's coaching. Just that. You know, there are plays going to be made in the air, and you have to be under control. And there are times you just think they're not quite under control. 
don't exactly know where the ball is. Um, and when you have two guys who get to the ball first and the other guy gets the completion lying on the ground, you're probably not doing something right. And you've got to get better at that. You do. Uh, you, just, you just do. And uh, they're not. They haven't got better. So we understand that's a real um, problem. We got Steve right in and said, is this 10-2 USC team, quote-unquote, awesome or, quote-unquote, awful? Because they can't be both. Can they? P.S. Dan, do you think asking the difficult questions about next year's Pac-12 football schedule uh, – oh, he said, thank you for asking the difficult questions about next year's Pac-12 football schedule to Coach Clay Helton. Yeah. yeah. Not that we got any answers. Uh, but uh... – yeah, I think somebody has to ask those questions. I wish somebody at USC were asking those questions. Uh, that you know, that just this shouldn't be happening. I mean, no other conference in America would schedule itself out of the national championship hunt in like the first couple of weeks. I mean, it's just not going to happen. They're they're too smart to do that. And then the Pac-12 comes up with all these stupid answers uh, as to why. USC and Stanford have to play so early or why USC gets the first Friday night game every year or, uh, you know, all the things that, that, that the Pac-12 does. So, yeah, there's, uh, those schedules help make it uh, a season where you can have awful elements and awesome elements combined, uh, you know, very often in the same week, the same game, the same quarter, uh, that's who, who this team is. I mean, the lack of discipline on some of the dumb penalties, uh, I think, I mean, to have 11 penalties for 115 yards, that means you averaged more than 10 yards a penalty. So USC didn't even uh, mess around with five-yard penalties. I mean, you can't average more than 10 yards a penalty. Uh, almost, if you have any five-yarders. So, yes, he just went for the major penalties <laughs> against UCLA. No no messing around. 11 for 115. That's just that's, that's just at, at beyond acceptable. I mean, that just cannot, cannot be accepted, that lack of discipline, that selfishness. I mean, that's, you know, people putting themselves ahead of, ahead of the team. I mean, you block a guy out of bounds, and then just for the hell of it, you know, three or four yards out of bounds, you go hit him again. No, you already knocked him out of bounds. What are you trying to do? You know, you just don't do stuff like that uh, if you're trying to help your team. Uh, but there's just not enough of that. And You know, I forgot to mention, somebody talked about the shirts out and, and some of the issues with uniform. I do think there's a little bit more of the look at me, look at me, uh, stuff with the USC's uh, and what you have now is you see guys who decided okay they're not allowed to wear the black socks but they don't maybe uh, like the white socks so you'll see you know maybe three out of 11 guys with uh, the red tights on and no white socks so now you've got you know eight guys maybe with white socks and three guys with what look like red socks I don't it's just little stuff or, or guys put the tape around their shoes or they put the black spat, you know, the black tape on their ankles above their, you know, low cut cleats. And it's this like a kind of a look at me, look at me, uh, which is some of the celebrating and, and what have you. I mean, I find it hard to watch in the secondary 
when, let's say, uh, you know, the opponent quarterback will throw the ball away. It is just not close. And the USC guys are, are given that, you know, incomplete signal, real de- definitive and real, you know, look at me, look at me. It's an incomplete pass. Come on, just get ready for the next play. I mean, really, that all the, there, there's more look at me stuff, and I know it's a different age, and you sound like, you know, get off my lawn, get off my lawn guy. <laughs> you don't need to do that. Really, you don't. It, we're paying attention to you. We really are. And USC fan base, I think, is smart enough to know if you made a good play. You don't have to tell them. And you don't have to tell them you made a good play when the other guy made a bad play. You know? I mean, don't take credit for, you know, incomplete passes that they had no chance of completing. Just move on to the next play and be ready for the next play. But I'm seeing a little more of that than I would like in a disciplined team. Yeah. Well, UCLA ended up having 12 penalties for 100 yards, so not quite the average USC had. And and, uh, Harvey Hyde mentioned that yesterday, too. He's like, did you notice that a lot of the DBs and wide receivers were wearing, like, red socks? And I'm like, no, I didn't really notice that. He's like, I noticed that stuff. So I know you do, and I know other people do. So it's a... it's, well, they call them uniform for a reason. They're yeah. uniforms. Everybody's supposed to look the same. You know, everybody's supposed to wear the same look. And, you know, if you really want to need, you need those red tights, you still ought to put the white socks over them. I mean, there really ought to be. There ought to be somebody, I would think, monitoring that look. You know, just say, look, guys, we're all in this together. We don't need... You know, I mean, what's the next thing? A guy's going to put his name on the back of his jersey and tape or something, you know? <laughs> I mean, stop it. Yeah. We got a text from George. He said, I've heard you say several times that CCH, that's Coach Clay Hilton, uh, when asked about Pac-12 officiating and scheduling, quote-unquote, wasn't going there. When will the time come that he will, quote-unquote, be going there? I don't understand why CCH or Lin Swan or other coaches and ADs around the conference don't go there either, or have they? I really don't see much changing in the conference until Larry Scott has some real heat put on him. Looking forward to your response. Fight on, George and Oxenard. Yeah, I would like to see the coaches you know, kind of join one another. I think that would be the way to do it because uh, we really don't know. I mean, they, they could not keep it more secret what they do in terms of their Monday evaluations uh, and, and the tape uh, with comments that they send, uh, you know, into the league office. I mean, the league has done everything you would think. I mean, you can't do more than have a vice president for football officiating of a full-time job of a former NFL, longtime NFL official, a retired Army colonel, uh, you know, a well-respected guy. That's all he does, and uh, it doesn't seem to have made much difference at all. I mean, over the years, if they get a good official, he's gone to the NFL, and uh, uh, you would like to see the the ADs in the Pac-12 just don't seem to do anything. I mean, I wish the ADs would concentrate on on the TV stuff, and I wish the coaches would concentrate on the officiating stuff, but you'd love to see. It would have some impact if you could get all the coaches together and uh, and start. I mean, 
I don't know that they can find all of them if they all came out with, uh, you know, with some sort of a statement. But uh, I don't think it would be a bad idea. I don't know how that gets organized, who starts it, whatever. But, uh, but something has to happen, I think. It's just uh, they're not competent, and they're not confident. I mean, Saturday's game was remarkable. You had very few... Uh, uh, replay reviews, and you did have an overturn or, or so. Uh, there shouldn't have to be that many in the Pac-12, but uh, but some of the games have been ridiculous, and uh, just those alone ought to be reason for coaches to come out and say, you know, there's too much downtime, there's too much, uh, uh, you know, having to throw it to the booth because the guys on the field didn't see it. I mean. I, I mean, I saw, for example, that Sam Z was down. I don't think there was any – it wasn't like uh, – I didn't think it was a close call. Uh, nobody on the field saw it. Not one of those seven officials saw it. And that's not how's – that not, how's that possible that quarterback on a scramble, the whole stadium is watching him. Everybody on both teams is – what else could the officials be watching – and they don't see that his knee is down before the ball pops out, and they all get it wrong. Well, that's, that's unacceptable. That whole crew ought to have to respond, and I'd like them to have to respond in writing. How did you miss that call? How, did no one in that, how was no one in that crew sighted up to see Sam's knee was down? How's that possible? It shouldn't be. No. But uh, it's the Pac-12, so... I guess it's possible. Incompetence. That's a great way to put it. Um, we had a voicemail, two voicemails actually, from Kaz, I think he said his name was. Um, both of them were like two minutes long. Kaz was way too long. We can't have that, especially two of them. Um, but he want, his points were he wants to see Sam Darnold run more. And then he also commented we had a, a caller, Don, for Harvey Hyde's show, really ripping into Jack Jones and Chuma Doga for being selfish players for like the penalties and stuff that they've been getting. Um, so Don was ripping into that and Kaz was agreeing with, uh, what Don had to say. Uh, hard to agree, uh, to not agree. The, the selfishness, um, uh, it's just, it, it can't be part of this program. You just can't put yourself, your own emotions, your own, you know, frustrations, your own lack of concern about your teammates ahead of anything else. And, and that just looks like, uh, you know, and I almost, you know, if it weren't Schuma, you almost give him a pass because the play where he gets the penalty is a scrum where clearly the USC kid has been stopped. He's being held up. He's not going anywhere. And the whistle doesn't blow. And the whistle doesn't blow. And they're like dancing, you know, down, uh, you know, one of the yard markers. And Schuma, I know, says, oh, okay. I got a shot, no whistle. I'm going to take somebody out. And he probably got his shot in before they finally blew their whistle. But that's where you got to be smart enough and say, wait a minute, just because they haven't blown their whistle doesn't mean they're not going to probably tag me if, uh, if I come in. Plus, it was a cheap shot. So you don't do it, even if you think you've got a chance to do it. In the same way with, with, uh, with Jack. Spend less time talking, less time, you know, whatever, and just get better. Work at it. Discipline yourself. Um, you just 
it's just too important for your future, for both of those guys who clearly want to play at the next level. Uh, you got a lot of work to do to get better and to get consistent and to do all the things that you know, are going to make you uh, able to play at that level. But uh, it's really important for you, and uh, time to grow up. Yeah, I agree there. Sorry, um, if you want to send in some shorter voicemails, that'd be great. We just can't play four-minute voicemails on the podcast. It's long enough already. Uh, this is really good. Eric and Duck Country, do you think this team will be able to stay focused during the bye week? Or will this be like the Holiday Bowl a couple of years ago? Thanks, as always, Eric and Duck Country. I think it's going to be an interesting topic to talk about, Dan. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Focused on what? The turkey? <laughs> and they're really not – they're having a walkthrough. Um, I mean, so and, – and, and maybe, you know, getting uh, rested up and rehabbing and all of that is the thing to focus on. And if that's where the focus is – uh, that's great, but there's there not a lot of short yardage uh, offense being run this week, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. It did not play out all that well at the Holiday Bowl, as we all remember. Now, one of the differences there was they were playing Wisconsin, who was, you know, hitting and hitting and hitting, and came up, you know, came to the Holiday Bowl and out hit them. Uh, you know, you've got the choice. You may get Stanford. You may get Washington State. If you get Stanford, uh, you know, it may uh, may not work so well that you're going to have two real practices in two weeks, um, and there, you know, two full real practices. Now, the the normal Thursday practice, which will be a Wednesday practice, is uh, is a little bit abbreviated and is more of a uh, you know a, re, a I guess a refreshing of what you're going to do in the game. But, uh, but basically they're calling, uh, uh, tomorrow's practice, uh, more of a walkthrough today. They're not even calling it a practice. So, and we're not allowed to, you know, to be around. So we're, we're not really sure what they're doing. So that means that next Monday and Tuesday are there essentially two, only two regular practices in two weeks. Uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, they didn't come out and hit when they played Washington State. They, they, they you know, short week, uh, they took it easy that week, and they really weren't ready to play. And Washington State out hit them, which was, uh, I think, one of the really embarrassing moments of this year. Uh, so we'll know the answer, you know, Friday, December 1st, uh, as to whether, uh, you know, which, which of those two prevailed, you know, did it get them back into, you know, feeling fine and physical shape and ready to go out and, and, and knock somebody's block off or did it get them out of the, you know, the ability to, you know, to go out and hit with people? Um, uh, we'll see. I mean, I wouldn't be averse to them, uh, going full pads next Monday, for example. Yeah. I don't think uh, that would be, uh, that'd be the worst idea in the world. I, I think it'd be a great idea, actually. I think it'd be, huh? I think it'd be a great idea, actually, not the worst idea. <laughs> yeah, set the tone for, you know, this is going to be either way. Either way, you're going to have to play a physical Stanford team, who that's what they do, or a Washington State team that if you really are physical with them, they can't do what they want to do. So in both cases, I think, you know, becoming as physical as you can be and knowing that you've had a week off 
and you're going to have, you know, two weeks to get ready for a game, uh, it might not be a bad idea to refresh, uh, especially, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the goal line stuff and the short yardage stuff. I really think uh, going in full pads, you don't have to go full pads to full practice, but I do think it really helps you. It's just muscle memory and, and just getting that, just that timing down exactly right. Because if you're out there in shorts, you aren't going to be on the ground if you're blocking people at the line of scrimmage. You're just not. You're, you're doing more standing than you are the kind of blocking that you're actually doing in a game. In a game, in a short yardage situation, almost everybody's on the ground. There's a big pile. You go and do that in practice without, with shorts, and there's no pile. So when people say, oh, it's no difference whether you're in shorts or not, yes, it, yes, it is a difference. You don't have big piles. And, you know, I just think it would help them in short yardage more than anything if they, uh, if they went in, in pads uh, at least once. Ben in the Central Valley wrote this during the game. He said, do we really not have a better cornerback than Jack Jones? He's been getting destroyed tonight. I really hope we have an underclassman or recruiting some help in the secondary because Jones doesn't look like he belongs on the field. Man, he gets a lot of criticism. Uh, besides that, the dude's got an ego and an attitude that shows up in a negative way every week. Hope uh, some more mature guys are quote-unquote next up. That's from Ben. Well, I mean, I think you make the point. If you are going to be one of those look-at-me, look-at-me players, you got to make plays. You can't say look-at-me, look-at-me, uh-oh, I just got burned. Look at me, look at me, uh-oh, I just got a penalty. Look at No. You, you know, if you want to be Deion Sanders, you at least better play the pass well. And, um, you know, and, and to be honest, Jack Jones is pretty good against the run. We don't notice that as much, uh, you know, because the other things are stuck in your memory. Uh, but, um, but, yeah, it's a shame. I would have loved to see, uh, you know, freshman Greg Johnson not get hurt and get a chance to play. I really liked his, uh, his potential. I mean, there is a kid on the team uh, named uh, Jamel Cook uh, who's got a lot of ability. He wasn't, he wasn't dressed for Saturday. Uh, we're still not sure what, what exactly is going on there. Um, but, uh, you know, it, you'd love to see somebody like that get a chance. But uh, they can't put you in the game if they didn't let you come out in your uniform. So uh, uh, you, you, what you've got there is what you've got there. And, and, and uh, Jonathan Lockett not able to play this year. So there are not a lot of options behind uh, the guys that are on the field. They kind of got to come through for you. And uh, certainly the last couple of weeks when you give uh, Colorado 486 yards, much of that passing, even though you shut their run down, you give uh, UCLA uh, 501 yards, uh, whatever it was, 422 passing, something like that. Um, that's just unacceptable. Yeah, 421 passing yards uh, for UCLA. We have uh, the vo- we have two more for you: a voicemail and then one more uh, email, and we'll let you go, Dan. There's we actually have a whole bunch more, but since there's a it's a bye week, we're we're going to save some of these like non specific ones for the game itself we'll we'll save those and we'll play them during our next week's show i'm sure we'll get more questions in but uh it'll just give us more to talk about uh next week's show all right here's the last voicemail 
JD from DC. Uh, question for Dan. Uh, assuming we we're all still getting over our celebration for having beaten UCLA this weekend, I wanted to revisit the whole Pat Hayden uh, scenario because it seems to me he was able to like kind of slink out of town without really having to respond to the allegations of despicable skimming from a charitable college foundation fund. This, this from a multi-millionaire uh, developer and six. Oh, I guess I cut off there, but he wants you to comment on uh, Pat Hayden. Man, <laughs> uh, yeah, let me see. Uh, honestly, I know for some people to to revisit, you know, Pat Hayden's uh, you know uh, six year run uh, at at as athletic director. I I just rather not. Uh, it's just. Uh, I mean, I still think uh, this Coliseum thing is going to be, uh, you know, one of the the lasting uh, the renovation and the you know cutting the seats way back and building this big mausoleum of a uh, you know a tower uh, is going to be another thing that you know will be uh, the the last uh, you know gift from Pat to the USC athletic program, and uh, I'd really just hope to put that all behind you. And and just just let it go into the ether. Uh, Pat's no longer part of this program, <clears throat> and, you, and and not somebody who is around and is part of it in any way. And I think that's not a coincidence that uh, that that you don't see uh, Pat around at all. And uh, it's a shame, but uh, it just didn't work out for uh, Pat or USC, unfortunately. Um, and, it's uh, you know, the Sarkeesian hire was one thing. The Coliseum and the Pac-12 negotiations are others that just keep going on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, and then one last one, Paul <laughs> in Vegas. He says, just now watching the UCLA game, so I don't know if it's going to be a joyous locker room after the game or a place of inconsolable misery. The question is, are the recruits present for this game allowed into the locker room after what I'm hoping is going to be uh, the festive celebration uh, marking our 10th win this season? Paul in Vegas. Oh, they're allowed in. Uh, whether they got to see much celebration, uh, I'm kind of doubting it. I think everybody was just, you know, they got out of there fast. Uh, <clears throat> this did not seem like, uh, you know, whoopie do we won our 10th game uh we beat ucla three straight times uh i think everybody knew how that game went and to be honest i think as much as it hurt i think the ucla kids felt better about themselves after that game you know than than the usc kids did um they just they survived they know they did and they lived to play another day, and you know the W. They got the W, but uh, other than that, uh, I, I don't get the sense that. Uh, and, and there were a lot of kids there, and they, because they get to go in. We don't get to go in the locker room, but they get to go into the locker room while we wait to go into the media room. So you get to see them all, you know, ushered in there, and they didn't look like they were all that excited and. It just wasn't a place where everybody was much excited about anything after the UCLA game. It was over. Is kind of 
how everybody felt. And uh, let's hope it's better at the Pac-12 championship game. And that was about it. Not a lot of emotion. Yeah, it was funny. On the field, um, so I was down on the field and you were down on the field. And uh, the fans, like I think the USC fans that were there, they got passes. They seemed pretty excited. They were jumping around. The players, there was a lot of USC and UCLA players like meeting together, like people that played on the same high school team, getting pictures. But it was just kind of like, like it, like you were like, I think it's a great way you described it. It was over. It wasn't like, there wasn't fighting. There wasn't any kind of, it was just like a lot of the people that knew each other came together in the middle of the field and took selfies with each other. Right. Well, if we'd have shown you, say, 50 selfies from after the game, you would have had no idea which team won and which team lost. Because yes. most of the selfies had players from both teams in them. And you had, you would have had, uh, with the, the greetings and the hugs and everything, you'd have had no idea that, A, this was a gigantic rivalry game, or, B, who won. I mean, it just wasn't yeah. any way to... To, to know that uh, it, it was an odd sort of finish. Uh, I'm not sure I've seen a USC UCLA game end quite the way that one did. That just it was over, and yeah. then everybody came and and, and and hung out on the field. And, and yeah, you're right. The parents, the families, I think, were really happy because uh, those were the USC kids whose families were on the field. Yeah, and they were really happy that they didn't lose. But um, that was the, probably the only emotion that you saw there. They, they were really happy they didn't lose. I mean, that's, and it's a great way to put it, too. It's like you just wouldn't know if you looked at it like, hey, which team won? Like, I don't know, the red team or the blue team? Like, it didn't really – and, and there was usually – there's fighting, there's something, you know, controversy. There really wasn't anything like that. Um, the only controversy is that Jim Moore ends up getting fired, like, within yeah. 24 hours. Well, and that's the, the other thing that was interesting – so we're going, and I remember vividly four years ago, and he was a horse's, you know, patoot uh, when he had that, you know, press conference almost with his team talking about owning L.A. and blah, blah, blah. He did it right in the middle of the tunnel, and you couldn't miss it. And everybody's having a ball, and he's loud enough for USC kids to hear it. And, all of that. and he was, you know, life was great. USC was still suffering badly from the sanctions and he got his third straight win against uh, the SC teams that, that weren't always that, you know, had the benefit of, of the best preparation. And then last week, Keely and I are going out to do the uh, uh, instant analysis and we're walking down the tunnel and there's nobody left. I mean, it's way, and then all of a sudden here you notice it's Jim Mora and it looked like his mom and, and some relatives, maybe, uh, you know, family, and a couple of the people at UCLA, like the security guy and what have you. And they're walking, and they're just starting to come out. And if he didn't know what was going to happen, I'd be shocked because it couldn't have been quieter. And in virtually the same spot where four years before he had been making all this noise and all, you know, here he is very meek and very mild and everybody's kind of got their heads down and they're just very quietly starting to walk up the tunnel and i'm thinking if you've ever said what goes around comes around 
that's the perfect case. And, and we've heard, you know, a lot of good things about Jim Mora in terms of some of the, you know, the, the charities he's helped and the people he's helped. And, and, and yet he had the ability to do things that just made you crazy. Uh, and, uh, but he was, uh, he could not have been farther removed from where he was four years ago in that same exact same spot in the USC tunnel. And, uh, you maybe you know a good lesson there might be you just don't get too full of yourself when things are going your way because there's no guarantee they're gonna they're gonna keep going your way yeah because they may not well don't feel bad for Jim Mora he's got twelve million yeah. bucks <laughs> right and that was interesting because you could tell these people around him were feeling really bad for him and you do think gosh the guys you know walking away with as much of that $12 million as they can negotiate for yeah. uh, in a settlement. And um, life is still pretty good yeah. for Jim Moore. I mean, for the head coach, it's usually fine because you get paid a lot of money. It's all the support staff, all the assistants. Like, you know, there's guys that make forty grand that are out on the street, and they might not get another forty grand job after that. You know, that's, that's where it's kind of like, okay, you feel bad for those people. Yeah, you, yes, you really do. And, and those were some of the people maybe walking out with him. And uh, you, you just had the sense that he knew what was coming. Uh, they said it, you know, he wasn't told until he got back to the UCLA campus. But yeah. uh, you really had a sense that uh, he knew it was over. Well, Dan Weber, thanks so much uh, for sharing all your insights. Thanks, everyone, for sending in those questions. And uh, we do thank Trader Joe's and SeatGeek for uh, sponsoring our little podcast. Um, yeah, Dan, well, enjoy the, uh, the bye week. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I'm luck- I'm glad we don't have to go to practice this week, I guess, but we'll just, you know, I needed to buy, like uh, I've been run down and being quote, sick. It's a quote, and you, you just quoted, uh, I think a USC player, right? Yeah. I need, <laughs> I need <laughs> maybe glad we don't have to go to practice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go there, but well, I mean, it's funny. I feel, I told my wife this morning, I told Jana, I mean, I've been, I've been sick, run down the last few days, and it's like, man, I really needed the bye week. And to hear the players talk about, I've never played 12 weeks in a row before. It's true. It's like never in your life would you have had to do that. Like no one no one expects you to do that except the Pac-12. <laughs> yeah, and then they jerk you around with times and and, and short weeks and all that. That uh, I mean, I, I think the, the worst thing you can say about the Pac-12 is for two years they made – what was it six, seven, eight teams, I guess, uh, play a short uh, Friday game week after traveling the week before. And it was like, well, that's, you know, what can you do with the TV? Well, they got enough criticism, and I think we may have started it, but they got enough criticism this year that magically there are none of those games next year. (laughs) They got rid of them all. Oh, you mean you could have got rid of them if somebody would have complained? This is where, I mean, I think the first time I wrote about it was the first day that schedule appeared last January, and we started complaining. Yeah. And you think, what if USC would have started complaining? Like in December when they saw yeah. the schedule. Uh, and, and, you know, you, gotta, you just think, come on, speak up. It's, it's the Pac-12. If you criticize the Pac-12... Ninety-nine percent of the country will agree with you. They'll. It doesn't matter what you criticize them for. It's the Pac-12. They'll be. 
on your side. You're always going to look right, and you're going to look smart if you criticize the Pac-12. I mean, it's just, unfortunately, that's the, the situation we're in. Yeah. It's funny, David. So uh, we did our podcast of champions. Make sure you check it out, Pac-12podcast.com. Uh, David Woods and I, David Woods from Bro, he's really funny and snarky. And he described the schedule as, um, he goes, the last couple of years, it's looked like it was just like this computer-generated thing that nobody, like no human even looked at because for the obvious, like, screw-ups. And he goes, at this time, it looked like a human actually might have reviewed it, you know? And, like, that's how bad it was. Like, did, did they really take into account anyone complaining about anything? It's like, now they're like, man, everyone's bitching about this. Well, okay, maybe we shouldn't do this stupid thing and this stupid thing. And it's not that hard to avoid those things, but it was like it was really like a computer generated thing that a human didn't look at. Yeah, it went straight out, and and that's where, and 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 we have been critical. You know, the first thing you criticize the Pac-12, then you criticize USC for not criticizing the Pac-12 and not standing up for their players and not saying <clears throat> we're not going to make them go to. Pullman, Washington, on a Friday night for, for Washington State's fifth straight home game where they're just <laughs> sitting there and just building. And USC having to go, uh, you know, uh, for another uh, uh, Saturday road trip and then a Friday road trip. And how easy it would have been for USC to say, no, we're not doing that. We're just not. Sorry. Uh, and, 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 and for that I blame USC because if they'd have done that, you lose the game 30-27 to 27 on the final field goal and what have you. They were awful. But maybe they wouldn't have been quite so awful if it wasn't on Friday night. Maybe they wouldn't have prepared quite so badly if they'd have realized we have actually a full week to, com- to uh, prepare for this game. But the whole idea was in their head, and they tiptoed through that week of practice. They had the worst game plan ever. If they walk away from Pullman with a win in that game, they're 11-1 and one now. Where are they ranked in the country? I don't know. Fourth, maybe. They probably wouldn't have gotten blown out by Notre Dame because they'd have gone into Notre Dame unbeaten. And they'd have gone into Notre Dame probably number four in the country. And that game would have mattered. That would have been the biggest game in the country. And USC probably would have shown up and probably would have played. And if they don't give Notre Dame 21 points to start with, who knows how that game goes? But uh, little things matter. And USC has to start paying attention to those kinds of little things. You can't just say, oh, scheduling is scheduling. Oh, you know, they do the best they can. No, they don't. They haven't. It's obvious they haven't done the best they can in scheduling last year compared to next year. They did better next year. And they, that's a great comment by David. It looks like this year – for next year, someone actually looked at the schedule and said, <laughs> where are we going to get hammered if we send this thing out? And they said, okay, let's don't do that, and let's don't do that. Yeah, maybe we can get away with sending USC on a, to a Friday night game uh, after they go to Texas and Stanford. Yeah, we can probably get away because that game's going to be at the Coliseum. And, of course, USC ought to be saying, we don't have anywhere to, anybody to park. We're going to lose 1,000 parking spaces next year. We don't let anybody park on campus during the week. Where are people going to park for a Friday night game at the Coliseum? Nowhere. Yeah. There's nowhere to go. I mean, if there's one year. Come down to this, go to the city council and try to get city council to pass an ordinance that you can't have weeknight games at the Coliseum and USC won't protect itself. 
Did somebody else have to step in and say you can't do that yeah. at, at the Coliseum? If there's one year you shouldn't have a, a weeknight game in the Coliseum, it's 2018 with all the crap that's going on. It's going to be a nightmare to get to a regular game, let alone a Friday night game. So that's that's an epic fail on all counts. Yeah, and especially when it comes after two road really tough Sanford and Texas road trips. That's the last place you should have a Friday night game, home or road. Uh, USC should have refused it. There were three other games in the Pac-12 that Saturday, which is weird as heck because they gave four teams a bye that week in the Pac-12. Four teams get a bye on week four. It's just, it's just odd, odd, odd stuff that just keeps happening in the Pac-12, yeah. really. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. We kind of keep going on and on. We can do this. That's what we can do. But we still have a bunch. So if we didn't get your question, I still have it. We'll be able to answer it next week. Well, during our bye week show, um, heading into uh, USC against either Washington State or Stanford. So that's Dan Weber. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.